Hello everyone, welcome back to the 21st episode of Reddit Talks Clash, hosted by the moderators of r slash Clash Clans. Today is a very special episode. We're joined by Luz from RH Base Building, as well as pro player from Tri Gaming, Kronos, and base builder Stefan. So we have a really exciting episode ready for you guys. Uh, hope you're all excited, and I guess we'll just jump right in. I'm also joined by Rick, Congressman Cool Rick, and Spencer Soros from the mod team, and I'm Sam. So let's jump straight in. Uh, Luz, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? You know, what RH Base Building is, what you guys do, and yeah, just a bit of background information. Yeah, sure. Um, first, thanks for having us on, um, especially me. Um, I joined the RH team back in the winter of 2021. It was one of those issues where I wasn't just um, an employee. I was also a client. So for, you know, two or three years prior, I had been purchasing bases from RH and getting base reviews on my horrible, horrible attempts to build anti-two-star bases. And um, I was happy to get invited by the owners of RH, both Red John and Hartek, to join the team as a server manager. And over the last few months, they elevated me to admin just because of all the business we had and the hard work I'd put in. RH opened back in 2019. And their goal was to have the best base builders in the game, providing defenses to the average player, such as myself, as well as pro teams. So when they play Clash of Clans, they can feel the same success and victory they had done. Um, they were the first base building organization to ever be signed with an esports team. And they built a long lasting relationship with that team. And the main goal is really just to provide base reviews attacking classes, base building classes, and the best defenses in the game. Yeah, awesome. So could you maybe tell us a bit about what kind of services you offer? So, you know, what kind of base packs can people buy? Is it for all town halls? Uh, what kind of customization can people have? And do you offer any other services apart from base building? Uh, sure. Right now we specialize, number one, in base building, because that is the name of the company, RH Base yeah. Building. <laughs> uh, we're offering Town Hall 9 through Town Hall 15. And we just added a new base builder for those of you out there who are still playing builder base and actually want <laughs> to climb the ladder. Um, aside from individual base orders, we offer multiple Patreon tiers. We have as little as one base per town hall per month, all the way up to over 30 bases per month. We have elevated exclusivity on our tiers. So the higher on our tier list you go, the fewer people on Patreon can access your bases and the more exclusive your designs are. Um, for anybody who buys a base from our server or on the website, you can email us, you can contact us through Discord, and our builders are happy to talk with you about best ways to reset traps, tweak your bases against armies you weren't expecting to see. Um, we offer plenty of base reviews both for our Patreon members, one-on-one -on -one talks with base reviewers, as well as just public base reviews where you can join our server and just chat with the community and shoot ideas off of each other. Uh, we were really happy in the last few months to add the new pro coaching service, which means those same players that you're watching on streams, Clash Worlds, are helping you learn how to become a better Clash player. So you can join our server. You can agree to a 30-minute, 60-minute long one-on-one -on -one lesson, and you're going to get on voice chat with those attackers, and they will walk you through step-by-step -step how to be a better player, whether you are a beginner who just downloaded your first account or whether you are an experienced player who's trying to win tournaments. So um, the attacking classes have been really popular the last few months. And then finally, we also offer 
base building classes as well. So if you're an aspiring base builder who doesn't just want to buy bases, you want to better understand defense, you want to better be um, someone who's supporting your team by getting those bases built for your clans, we offer that as well. So working with players and builders such as Kronos and Stefan, they'll get with you again for half an hour to an hour, take a look at your base, they'll give you demonstrations, they'll walk you through step-by-step and planning out those compartments and spreading your defensive value. And you can start to learn from the best there as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So obviously, uh, well, maybe obviously to you, but not to everyone, recently you guys had a war with uh, Blueprints, another base building service. Uh, wondering how that kind of came about, who approached who, and uh, obviously we know you won, but how did the whole thing go? Um, it was really enjoyable for us. You could say we've had a friendly rivalry with them mm-hmm. over the last you know couple of years. They've really been pushing to become one of the top base building companies in the game as well. They're really busy on social media. They have great relationships with pro teams as well. And just back and forth with us on social media through our announcements and our Discord servers, trying to offer the best deals, the best value for each other. People thought it was time for us not just to take shots at each other from the other sides of the room, but let's put us in the same place at the same time and and duke it out. I did watch the war, but off the top of my head, I can't remember. Did you find it was your attacks that won you the war? So did you get lots of triples or was it uh, your defense? Is it Was it your defense and your base building that carried you to the win? Well, it depends on who you would ask. And, in, in, you know, being close to the action and watching the stream myself and seeing the practice done by both the players and the defenders, I'd say it was an excellent combination of both. I don't want that to be a cop-out, but if you watch that first war where we're primarily using anti-three-star bases, I mean, the RH team scored a perfect war at Town Hall 15. And many people out there are talking about how much more difficult this Town Hall was, but they're still showing you that it can be done. So getting that excellent head start was a huge boost going into the second war where anti-two-star bases were more prevalent. And yes, while we did get edged out, in the end of that war, we still had some fantastic defenses on both sides. I mean, Stefan, for example, was running multiple bases in that war. And to see one of his bases, you know, even get close to going down was a huge shock. So we're, we're proud of both sides. Definitely. So maybe we could go to Stefan here and ask about what the kind of base building process was for these wars. There's obviously Tunnel 15 shook up the meta a lot. We've had the new Monolith Tower. But I think more importantly for base building is probably the new Spell Towers. And obviously, new troops, new siege machines, so many new elements to consider. So, uh, Stefan, how did you find um, approaching Tower 15 bases? What do you have to change, maybe? And what were some really important factors that you considered when designing these bases? So, overall, I just really like the Tunnel 15 base building meta so far. I think it's like a really good change that the defense, like, it's just more balanced than last year, in my opinion. So, you really have a chance mm-hmm. at defending. So, that's really nice. And with approaching it, I think the spell toss and the monolith just change a lot. So you really need to protect them and don't give them away for free. And I think you can really tell that people still learn how to build the new bases and what works best and so on, since we're just at the beginning. At the beginning, you could see that most people just use um, double invis tower on ring bases, just so people are not used to it and they want them maybe. But in the RH versus Blueprint War, I think like 90% of the spell tosses are wizard to poison. So you could really already sh- see the shift of the meta. And that's really interesting to see. And with approaching, we just did it that like we had a baseballing roster of five people. Everyone just posted bases. 
and then we wrote comments on them. What would people do? What do we expect? What is weak? What needs to be changed? Or what is really strong? And then we just tested the bases and picked the best ones. And yeah, it worked out really well. I mean, in the first war, we got 11-star defense. And in the second war, then we got 12 stars. So that is just perfect. It could not have gone any better. So yeah, I'm really happy about it. So um, before we carry on, I just want to remind everyone uh, that we are actually, or kindly, our experience building are hosting a giveaway. So they're going to be offering, I think, is it one or two bases uh, to the best questions in the comments. So please do make sure to drop questions in the comments right now. Uh, we will definitely get to them later. And if you have a particularly good one, you can definitely be hooked up with the base of your choice from RH Base Building. So please do make sure to comment below. Uh, so kind of interjecting now, I kind of want to go to Chronos because obviously we've heard the side of base building from Stefan. Yeah, really interesting how spell towers and monoliths and just everything have really shook up the meta. But of course, attacking meta has been changed massively as well. So Kronos, how have you changed your approach to attacking? You know, have you been looking more at the ground attacks now? You know, what has changed considering the spell towers, considering everything? Uh, first of all, thank you guys for having us. And hello to everyone that's listening on in. Um, to get to your question, I think it's, I think it's, re it's remained similar to an extent with things becoming much more selective, if that makes sense. Let me explain that. Essentially, a tunnel 14, I don't know if you followed the World Championship, but there was yeah. a, a handful of attacks and it felt like those attacks could be applied very widely, if you will, on a very wide yeah, variety definitely. of bases. And with the changes, what we felt like at our age and what I felt like with Tribe, um, more on a, uh, uh, an esports side, is that you really need to put some thought into how you approach a base, how you break it down, basically base identification. Um, so looking at, at what you see on a base build and what, what, what you think can, can be abused, if you will. I mean, abuse is a very strong word. What I mean by that is essentially a, a trait of a base that you spot out as, as a weakness, basically. Um, more often than not, um, looking at the way the meta shifted, is it's, it's looking at the spell towers. A lot of people talk about the monolith and, ooh, it's so strong and completely wrecks your heroes. Yes, for sure. But once you've learned that, okay, let me keep my heroes away from the monolith, you start looking more at those poison towers, those rage towers. How can I go against them? How can I mitigate them from, from killing my army from, I don't know, a poison tower hitting my loons, a rage tower that's next to two expos hitting my queen, stuff like that, that you then need to more closely look at rather than just trying to bang your head against the wall with an army that you know works mm -hmm. and might be very strong, but then is countered effectively by a well-built base and let's not take any credit away from blueprint who who are an amazing side and i think they definitely show that in the wars um beating us out in the second one so yeah they definitely knew what they were doing and i think that war was a great showcase for what tunnel 15 is all about yeah definitely so in terms of the spell towers obviously as you said they've been the main thing you've had to consider when attacking what have you found to be the most, I guess, effective way of countering them? Obviously, it depends on the tower. But for example, for the Invis Tower, have you been just hoping that it will be fine and just kind of go into it? Or have you been, for example, trying to freeze it all the time? What has your approach been when you kind of see these quite scary towers on the base? Right. And that's a great question because I can definitely see some people still struggling with the Invis, especially two mechanics that actually are, are a great counter to them and that maybe haven't been discovered as widely as they should have been yet is first of all the freeze, like you said. If, 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 you're, if a troop hits a unit in the range of the Invis Tower, we all know the Invis Tower will pop and the buildings around it will go Invis. 
If you, however, freeze the Invis Tower before it has a chance to shoot the invisibility, it will not shoot until the freeze wears out, if that makes sense. So the freeze yeah. is the first great counter you have. And secondly, you have a lock launcher. Essentially, if you put a lock launcher in from a side, whether it be as a, as a, as a bowler smash support or just a lock launcher to support a queen charge or whatever it may be, if the locks that are rolling towards the town hall hit and damage a building that's covered by the invest tower inside the range, then the invest tower will actually pop as well. So basically what you are doing with that lock launcher is you're getting the invest tower to trigger early so that by the point when your bowlers, your queen reaches the invest tower, it will have worn out the timer. It will be back to its, I think it's 50 seconds, correct me if I'm wrong, to like reload it. And then at that point, you, you wouldn't have to worry about it, if you know what I mean. So yeah, in short, the freeze and the lock launcher is the two most efficient tools that I've found to work against the Invis Tower, yeah. Yeah, so it's very exciting we've had all these different mechanics that have forced us to definitely change our playstyle. In terms of changing playstyle, obviously, as everyone I expect knows, Town 14, air was the meta. You saw very few ground attacks. I remember watching Clash Worlds. It was predominantly Lalo. There are dragons in there, and if you're lucky... You might see a ground attack, but now I think people are definitely seeing a shift. Uh, Kuros, I know you are definitely experienced Lalo attacker. Have you been just trying to force Lalo to stick with it, or have you been branching out more and trying to look at other strategies? I think branching out is key, and I think if you stay, like if you stick your head in the sand and say no, I am sticking with Lalo, then you will for sure fall short more often than you than you maybe would want to. Um, I think the meta has shifted to such a such a. I don't want to say difficult, but such a variable spot to where you need to think about your approaches. And on something like an anti-2, where there's the, the four expos in the middle, maybe even rage towers, you will have a hard time going in with your Lala because the scatters hit hard, poison towers hit hard. And at that point, you really are going to think, should I use Electro Titans? Should I use Super Bowlers? Something mm. along those lines. And I definitely think, depending on the base style... What I mean with base style is I mean anti-3 setup, an anti-2 or ring setup, or maybe a different style of symmetric where there's, where there's a tunnel more on the outside. You will definitely have to vary a bit on the approach that you select. Will it be a Lalo, maybe even a queen charge? On anti-2 on rings, more often than not, it will be a ground-based, probably smash army. So yeah, to answer your question, definitely shifting away from solely doing Lalo. I think it's, it's very hard, especially without getting a new loon slash hound level. To, yeah. to, to keep it going and i think the smash definitely is is creeping in and it would surprise me if come come big tournaments again you know the name the world championship qualifiers the world's warm-ups i think that's those are the attacks we will see on those seller bases and it would it wouldn't surprise me at all if we'd also see them on the others because people will will start using them again and figure out new new ideas new approaches to bases and and definitely definitely try to push through with them so in terms of uh, building bases, I wonder if we could go back to Stefan here, as I feel like base building is probably uh, the lesser touch side of Clash Clans. Obviously, it should be half the, half the game, right? But I think people will mostly agree that attacking is more accessible to the average player in terms of possibly getting a good attack, to getting a good base. So Stefan, I was wondering, could you tell us maybe about your whole process of building a base, so that the testing, you know, what you have to do differently if it's a war or a legends base, as um, funny enough, earlier in the day, I asked for war and legends base, and Spencer here and another mod asked me, I have actually no idea what the difference is, so I wonder if you could go into that a little bit, and just generally what your process is for designing bases, and especially testing them. I think the biggest difference between war and legend bases is that 
on war bases you can plan so you can really abuse the weaknesses of bases and what i mean is with that is like for example on war bases if you have high sub value or a very strong blizzard or like any really strong thing it can be abused so you should either not allow it or defend it but in legends you can't change your army so you have to go in with the army you have and you don't really have planning time so it is fine if you have high sub value it is fine if you have like a very free town hall for example because people don't have time to adjust their army or to plan on the basis so they can re not really deal with it and with testing it's the same basically so if you test a legend base you just want people to go in with their classic army just without looking at the base they just have to go live then i have those 30 seconds and have to come up with a plan but if you test a war base, it's really helpful if you like take your time, take five or ten minutes for the base and find a good plan, basically. So you can really try to abuse the weaknesses of the bases. And that also means with legend bases, you can go more heavy on the baits, for example. Because if you like, let's say you have a blizzard attacker in legends and he only sees one blimp, then he is going to play it. So even if it's a bit risky, he's thinking that's the only way I see how to triple this space. I have to do it. And then you can go heavy on the bait and deny the attack. Yeah, awesome. So I think okay, time is the main differential between War and Legends. You know, Legends, lots of time, little time to plan, sorry. War, lots of time to plan. So you got to kind of try bait them out that way. Uh, I kind of thought this would segue nicely into a question we actually had from uh, you slash Skelly of Kiev. Uh, kind of related to this whole process of how do you deal with designing and testing so many bases with the SC cooldown? As obviously, when you make almost any change to a base, you have 24 hours until you can FC it again. Does that cause problems when testing your base? As in, if you want to just make a little tweak, you're suddenly locked out from seeing how that affects things? Or do you have ways almost around that? I mean, it is certainly pretty annoying to have the 24-hour cooldown. Um, one thing I work around with it is I just have multiple accounts. So I'm not limited right. to the eight base slots I have. So I can have like two, three, four accounts filled with bases. So it's just more FCs. Brilliant. And if you can just taste multiple bases at once, it's not a problem if one of them is on 24-hour cooldown. And another very important thing is that you, like, usually you don't really change the buildings. Most tests are just tweaking traps and you can tweak the traps without cooldown. All right, so both, yeah. for the usual uh, tests, you don't really need to take the 24-hour cooldown. But if you need to do it, it's it is basically just a pain and nothing you can do against it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So I wonder now if we could go a little bit into worlds, as obviously that was relatively recently and Kronos here had first hand experience in it. Uh, so I kinda of want to ask, what was the whole experience like? You know, obviously the atmosphere, the the pressure. What did you play differently under that kind of more high stakes environments, knowing you being physically watched by lots of people, or did it not change much at all? Um, good question, because if you asked about the words experience in general, I think it would be very open-ended and very difficult to answer. Playing yeah. on stage itself, um, I think on day one, I think also if you watch back the hits, I don't know, maybe not for more casual players, but for more experienced players, you will see that, that there were definitely some nerves, some minor issues, maybe some plays that weren't like spot on, like you would expect them from top mm. level players. And I, I think, think uh, Star's missing a Skelly Donut was one of exactly, the big much. highlights think, to me. Yeah. I think day one is what it took to get everyone like in their groove. 
that's anyways what it felt like for me. I don't know if it was for everyone like that, but for the players that got to the later stages, to the later wars, I think the further you got, the more comfortable you got. Of course, given if you're playing in a grand finals against the Queen Walkers, everything's yeah. going to change and you will feel the pressure. If there's a triple from them, a triple from us, and back and forth, come your turn, you will feel the pressure. I can guarantee you that. But I think getting that first war and that first win in, no matter who it is against, if it's, if it's the, the, the farmers from who, wherever or the Queen Walkers, if you win that first war, you're in, in, in jackpot position because you've passed the first test, you have the experience now, and you can go away for another night, reset and prepare again. And at that point, you know what to expect. You know what the, what the setting will be. And it, it's just crazy. Like, like there's people clapping. They're, like uh, in Helsinki, there was actually like banging on the floor. Because essentially it was like a, a wooden built structure to make it look like the, the Clash Arena. And that through our headphones was really like a loud and we felt it. <laughs> um, so like the whole, the whole setting, the whole scenario definitely adds intensity and it adds pressure. Um, but but with the more you play it, the more you got settled in, the more you knew what you wanted to do. And if you were prepared, if you, if you did your homework, then I think it was, it was definitely fun and, and, um, and nerve wracking, but also good if you know what i mean like it was, yeah. it was it was fine yeah did um did having the crowds kind of almost actually help you in terms of giving you motivation and spurring you on more than actually making you stressed or was it more daunting having them all there watching you uh it was daunting but also in the later stages the support definitely came through hmm. um i don't want to say anything but maybe there was a war and maybe there was yelling from the crowd and banging and a couple of players <laughs> got put off and that may or may not have influenced a few scores. Um, I mean, it, it's hard to see it from the online. That's why I think being there in person is such a such an insane yeah. experience, which I'm grateful for. Um, but I definitely think it has a huge impact, both on your own team, like uh, energy-wise, as well as on the opponents. Because the opponents, they're sitting across from you. They will hear you and they will feel the atmosphere. Um, and at that point, that, that, that's, that's an element in the game. That's something that changes. And you need to use that to your advantage. It was fun being in the crowd watching you guys during the war with with Space Station is when I think you guys started to get a lot more of the crowd involved right. and then and yeah. then uh and during during the final was it was really fun too it was it was it was it was fun sitting out there uh just watching how how hyped up you guys got during it and I think it made it a better viewing experience at least for sure Appreciate yeah definitely that, yeah. I do remember do you remember on day one the I, I mean I seen there were more people there on day three but I do remember on day one. The atmosphere didn't feel flat, but you were like, okay, you know, it's just right. a gentle yeah. clap. But then by day three, you know, it was clear everyone was getting more into it, and it definitely added to that whole atmosphere. And uh, even though that's hard to see on stream, Rick did tell me that you guys were doing a great job at you know, getting the crowd involved, which obviously really adds to experience. And even though you can't tell that you guys were doing that on the stream per se, you did notice the crowd definitely getting more animated, which you know, obviously added to the uh, excitement. Uh, building onto worlds and kind of going back to the base building side of it, obviously you were competing against lots of teams and you kind of got to be ready for each team. And I naturally assume that you have bases prepared for each team. So I don't know if uh, you, Kronos or Stefan, is more place to answer this, but how do you go about making sure your bases are suited for your opposing team? You know, what do you look out for? How do you build against them? Uh, do you have actually lots of bases for individual teams or is it more random and you just kind of have a smaller subsection of types of bases rather than built for a specific team 
Um, I mean, so first of all, the most important thing is scouting the enemies and knowing what to expect and trying to predict them. So, for example, if you face, um, let's say, Queen Walkers, you can just watch the previous wars and see what they did. Obviously, they're going to change things in walls because almost every team had some secret stretch prepared for walls. But you can see a general thing they would try to look for on bases, and then you can try to build against that. And overall, you just need a lot of bases. For example, we had like 40 bases to pick from. Wow. And in the end, we had a few base packs for specific teams and just a few bases that we decided, for example, between day one and two, whether we want to use them or not, uh, between day two and three, and picking them for the right opponent. But yeah it's, yeah, it's a lot of preparation. You just need to try to predict the enemies and make the lives as hard as possible. In, in terms of predicting enemies, were there any teams that really surprised you in actually in terms of what they came out with? I remember Space Station raised a lot of eyebrows with their with split Lalo attack. I was wondering if there were any other teams which you which came with something you weren't expecting against your bases. I have to highlight two teams in terms of that. First of all, I think X Team Esports did just a really great job against us in the first war. The advantage was that they didn't really play too much since they qualified back in the first qualifier. So we didn't really have much footage to watch from them and didn't really know what to expect since like, I think we saw four wars of, of them since they qualified until Worlds. So that's right, yeah. basically nothing. <laughs> so they just really had like, they had good strats prepared and played, played really well and they almost defeated us. And also one more important thing is I think Queen Walkers played it really well in the second match. So in the first match of the finals, when we faced them, they had like four or maybe even five completely different approaches, which we have never seen before. And you could really tell that they prepared this just for walls because they were so creative and they never did those hits before. For example, Garku did a queen charge with a cloned loon blimp into the core. Yes, Klaus I think did I remember a... that. I think it was a warden walk with flame flinger and backhand yeah. queen or something. Yeah, so something super crazy, crazy hits and like hmm. it's impossible to predict those. So just good job by them. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I wonder if Town Fifteen will kind of change that sort of meta of uh, a surprise won't always go your way because obviously spell towers and just defense seems to be much more stronger at fifteen. So um, we do have quite a few questions that are wrapping up, uh, racking up in the comments. So I was wondering, uh, these are kind of quite base building focused questions, but anyone is welcome to answer. Uh, the first one is just a basic one. Should the Inferno Tower be in multiple single modes? I guess a better question might be, when is it better to have it in single and when is it better to have it as a multi? I think overall it is better to have them in multi. Because if you have them in single mode, you can just get overrun by, for example, mess witches, or you can distract them with skelly spells or bad spells, or just overall with spammy attacks. Also, it's easier for Lalo. Um, so multi is just overall better against most strats. And also the singles are really good against charges. But on the other hand, we just had four, uh, we had an expo level. So we have four of those. And then we had the new monolith. And then you had all the other defense levels. So charges are not having a good time anyways. So you don't really need the single infernos to make their life right, yeah. harder. So if you just want to have a balanced base, I would recommend mostly multi infernos, maybe one single inferno. 
Yeah, awesome. Good good advice there. That was from you slash uh, Dirto Boy. Uh, next question we have is from you slash call to arms underscore one. And that is, what is the best advice uh, would you have for mismatched town halls? Uh, maybe, Kronos, you'd like to come at this one? Right. Um, I definitely think that is very scenario dependent. Um, in general, I would say, no matter how, how, how you stand, how heavy the mismatch is, I would say that your top top guys, your top two, three, four players should always look to go into the middle and try to secure the three stars because at the end of the day, it will come down to the two stars and the three stars. Um, and and then, then what you want to do is you want the middle guys to the lower guys, if possible, to do the hit-ups against the teams, like the, the guys that are mismatched, that are the higher town level. And all you're looking for is to secure the safe two-star. If it's 50%, if it's 60%, it doesn't matter as long as you get those two stars on the board, allowing for your strong guys to hit people at their level a bit further down the map, if that makes sense. So essentially, yeah. get the mismatch out of the way with your low accounts in order to then make up the triples in the middle ground. Yeah, are there any maybe attack strategies you'd recommend to people hitting up? As I know, some people in my clan come with the most whack things when they're told to hit up, and it does make me kind of put my head into my hands and almost cry. So are there any good strategies that you'd recommend for hitting up? Right. I think that is, again, very scenario-dependent, especially town hall-dependent. As yeah, soon as you true. unlock the Warden, I think getting the second star becomes rather easier, no matter what you face, because you can use the Warden ability in combination with something like a blimp, whether it be yeah. Super Wizards or just a sneaky Goblin blimp to secure the town hall. So once you have that, I would definitely recommend something that can collect percent along the outside in combination with a core push from the Warden ability plus a blimp, whether it be Super Wizards or Sneaky Goblins. If you're lower, it gets a little bit more intricate and more complicated, and you need to look how high is the hit up, what, what's the base layout. Is, if it's an anti-3, then obviously securing the tunnel that's further on the outside is, is, a, is an easier task. But if it's more a ring-style base, maybe even tunnel 12, tunnel 13, the task gets a little bit harder. At that point, I would say very scenario-dependent. I would look for some golem hero push to get into the mm, core yeah. and then support it with maybe some baby dragons to collect those percent but difficult challenge definitely having the warden is a huge huge advantage that you have yeah perfect uh next question is from you slash fit underscore ease underscore one two eight eight and this is how can someone become a professional base builder um Luz, i know you've been kind of in the background for a while but one of you wanted to come in here it's obviously you were talking about the services you offer earlier about being able to teach people i wonder if this is a good opportunity to talk about maybe how people can kind of get into that scene well i can go ahead and give you um the business standpoint of it, but then we might want to go ahead and turn it back to Stefano Kronos maybe yeah, to give yeah, us a quick story good. about their growth and how they became pros. But us at RH, we're really looking for people who have experience and they've worked their way from the ground up. We get DMs every day, 15, 20 per admin. Are you looking for base builders? I'd love to come build bases. Will you take me as a base builder? And they'll show us pictures of bases. And sometimes they are legit. And sometimes they're bases they ripped off the internet. <laughs> um, but um, we really want to find someone who has worked for multiple esports teams, whether they founded their own team, whether they got hired by somebody, whether they've been in 5v5 esports tournaments for years, whether they were attackers first and then learned how to become builders after, because RH is so wide known at this point and we have such great connections with teams like Queen Walkers and Tribe Gaming and 
we don't want to just throw a new guy out there and hope he learns in the field mm. because then our reputation is at stake when we sell our bases to a team who's hoping to win a tournament and the new guy gets fresh tripled every time he gets in a war. So we're really looking for someone who's built their experience through months to years of practice and trial and error and working for teams and learning what works and what doesn't. And then once they've shown that and they've built that reputation for success, then that's when we build our connection. Yeah, very good. So I guess, Stefan Kronos, do you want to tell us kind of how you uh, developed as a base builder and kind of what your journey was there? Um, I mean, I can start. Yeah, go for me, it. it was just like, I always built bases like for the past, I don't know, three, four years, maybe even longer. Just in my casual clan, I just built some bases that my clan mates would use in the normal clan wars and CWL and so on. And then at some point, I started playing a bit of uh, 5v5 tournaments and also built for that. And then I just was lucky, basically, because I happened to have some bases in a community tournament against Tribe. And those bases defended very well. And since I knew a few of the Tribe guys, they asked me if I want to build for them. And that's basically how I got into it. So it was just being at the right time, yeah, um, like at the right spot, just a bit lucky and just grinding for years, basically. Like I always built, but then I got this opportunity and just put in the work and built even more and tested a lot and just tried to improve as much as possible. And it worked out really well. Yeah, awesome. So Colonel, do you have just any... grinding. Oh, yeah. So, sorry. Colonel, do you have any experiences uh, with you know base building? I know obviously you're predominantly a player, but I'm sure you've kind of dabbled in there before. Right. I also actually build bases, and that's actually how I joined oh, there we go. in the past. Um, I have to say I've definitely moved away from it in the recent few, uh, in the recent past. But yeah. essentially what I think at the moment the best way to make a name for yourself is to just expose yourself to no matter what team you're working with, whether it be some small team from, from your country or just a team that you're supporting in, the, in some world championship qualifier in an ESL tournament, make a name for yourself on a tournament that is streamed. Once you get results, I mean, it may not be in the first attempt, but they, people will remember your one time you succeeded, not the, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 times you didn't succeed before. So what I'm suggesting is go out there, support people, and, and, and use the opportunities on stream that you can get, whether it be with a team that finishes eight, who cares? Who cares? At the end of the day, all you want is for people to see, oh, wait, they might have finished last, but their defenses, they were actually pretty good. I wonder who yeah. built their bases. And just like that, you get a step up. And I don't know, all of a sudden you're building for maybe a signed team by an esports org that's maybe not, I don't know, a Queen Walkers team, but still solid. And just like that, you climb up the ladder and sooner or later, someone like our age, someone like Blueprint will become, will, will say, come along and say, oh, look, this guy, he's actually been, been, been putting the hours in and he's been getting the results. And at that point, you're, you're, you're in the big league. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely put, put the work in is what my suggestion would be and expose yourself as much as possible. Since you mentioned putting in the hours, um, how, how much time does it take you to, to do a base now? Um, I mean, it's very dependent. I think a symmetric base you can throw together pretty quickly. You can get the ideas together. Building a base itself is just having that, that thought in your head of thinking, okay, let me actually try this. I mean, you have it in your head. Maybe it translates into the game. Maybe it doesn't. At that point, you're scrapping it or you're going again. I would say anywhere between 20 to 30 to 40, maybe an hour. 
I would say symmetrics around 30 minutes, an anti-three style asymmetric base, 40 minutes to an hour, something like that. Do you find yourself like repeating certain things, you know, like copying a compartment or just a, a lot of the basic concepts are, are going to be similar throughout every base or does it, is it really just different all, all across? I think that's a great question. And I think a good answer to that is it, dep- it varies from base builder to base builder. Um, when I look at a base, I know looking at a few of the features, who built the base? Essentially, what I'm saying with that is every base builder kind of has their own their own style, their own groove. And definitely compartments get copied across base builders who steal from other base builders and own base builders who have their style, who believe in what they do and like know, okay, this is my compartment and I know this works and I'm confident building with it. So for sure, compartments get copied all the time because at the end of the day, you can only do so much. But the, the, the art of base building is trying to identify how you can use those inspired compartments to make something creative, to make something that surprises the enemy at the end of the day. Yeah, awesome. Uh, that's really great insight into kind of how the base building process goes. Got our next question from you slash gods. Let me try to pronounce this. Uh, Waffle Pretz Kaldani. Um, here we go. Are ring bases good in nowadays meta, especially in the anti-two-star meta? Uh, Stefan, Kronos, this can go to either of you. Fire away. I think ring bases are still very good, especially right now, because people really struggle with the new spell towers and so on. So yeah. as soon as you basically make one mistake, it happens that you just get a 60% defense or so. So ring bases or in general symmetrics are just a really good shot at getting a high, like a low defense. Cause what do you think of the mistakes? Um, spell towers to Sorry. use with a ring base? Uh, is it poison and invis or what do you usually go for? Um, I think it depends what kind of people you face. Like if you face the more casual players and maybe not the top pro players, then I would probably say it is invis towers, but it could also be poison tosses if you want to deny a blimp but the further experienced you play like the enemies are going to be the more you're going to see the poison toss because they are just very good against a variety of strats for example blimps they are good against lalo they are also good against smash and charges and they are just a good all-rounder yeah perfect uh so next question is from you slash baby cowboy akir and that is, what defenses do I need on uh, need to work on first to defend better? So I guess this is quite variable depending on your town hall. Uh, but maybe maybe look at just town fifteen and kind of say which are the priority defenses. Obviously, at town two, it's the mortar, but I assume most people are further along than there. Right, I'm gonna take this one, and it's you say it's varying from town to town hall. I agree with you, but only to a certain extent. Because once you come to Town Hall 10, you unlock multi-infernos and like just infernos in general. And something yeah. that we base builders call a key defenses, that is a Town Hall, an Eagle Artillery, a Scatter Shot, and a Multi. Obviously before 15. With 15 now, I would say Spell Towers and Monoliths tie in with yeah. that as a key so-called key defenses. And what we mean by that, it's a defense that, that is important and that it will do a difference to when someone attacks your base. And with that, we mean it, it's, a, it's such a strong defense that it will essentially make the difference, like I said. So I definitely would recommend upgrading those first. Add a new tunnel compartment. So that is the, the town hall to max level, the eagle, infernos, scatter shots, and uh, the monolith. 
monolith spell towers now with the new town hall beyond that there is no right answer it really depends on what you're defending for at the end of the day you'll need everything upgraded if you want to compete at higher levels but i would definitely look for like wizard towers maybe air defenses maybe arch towers cannons so just getting into the smaller defenses that are strong but maybe won't do the difference when it comes to an attack it won't be the the buildings that stay up and in the end at the end of the day get you those defenses that you that you're longing for um yeah oh there's something i I saw asked the other day uh uh, someone was asking whether they need to bother upgrading their second spell tower to uh, all the way because um, is is double invis ever really going to play a role? Do you think? Um, I think that with anti two coming back, especially now to the anti two question, um, I think this ties in very nicely. Is for sure on those anti two bases because it just trolls you so hard if you don't have a way of handling it. Like the town it pops invis, pops invis, and you're like crap. All my stuff is gone. This is for sure a one star. So if you're going into the Legends League, into the trolley bases with the tunnel in the middle with the double invest, then for sure. If you don't, and if you say, okay, no, those bases aren't for me, then I think have that level two tower and have those poisons, and I think you will be set. I mean, sooner or later, like I said, you're going to want to pull everything up to max level because you just can. And at that point you will, but I think level two is completely in, in the green for now. Um, yeah, poison towers are very strong. Yeah, so in terms of poison towers or, or just spell towers in general, our next question is from you slash legacy seven o two, and uh, it's quite a long question, but we'll go for it. What would you say uh, the best way to use the new spell towers are? Uh, Continue said, as in what spells are best and where to place them. Is it a good idea putting an invis spell near the town hall, uh, or things like scatter shots or? Is it best to poison, or do you rage up defenses? What are your what are your kind of thoughts then, Stefan? I think you should take this. Yep, I can take this. Um, so an invis tower next to the town is definitely very good, since you can just throw your attacker off, and you need to invest like an extra spell, for example, with a safe blimp or with a with a blizzard, or just if you want to charge the town hall. So that can be really strong. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of rage towers, to be honest. I feel like there is just not too many scenarios where they are better than any of the other towers. So I would say Invis Tower around the Town Hall, and the rest is probably just Poison Towers. You can place Poison Towers, for example, next to splash damage buildings like a multi, or also in a scatter compartment. Um, but I would try to have them rather in the core, so you can't trigger them too easily. Because many people just make the mistake that you have the Poison Tower too far on the outside. Then you can trigger it with like one or two loons easily. And after that is obviously useless. So you don't want to do that. Um, but yeah, it's just playing around with them and seeing what works. In some scenarios, the rage is very good. But overall, I would say stick to poison toss. Yeah, nice. We've got one more user question. And then I think we've got one or two things uh, left to discuss. And our final user question is from you slash base layer. And he is kind of very similar to the question we had before, but different, slightly different angle. And they said, um, I want to become a pro player. What steps do I need to take? Uh, Kronos, uh, maybe you could give some insight on this. Right. And I think this ties in super closely with becoming a base builder. All I think you need to do is uh, don't expect to be signed by the big names day one. You need to, like, basically, I think it's better if there's a, there's a, story behind this essentially the way it was with me is i started around the space station back then lost metagaming you guys will know them as war and glory these days 
is I started playing mm. with them. And when I started playing, I was on like the second and third team. My base wasn't maxed. My skill was all right, but nothing special. And like the Agent 33 and those type of players, they were, they were a dream that I would soon play with, hopefully. So I was playing with like more, more guys that just played for fun, guys that played recreationally, more so than pro- uh, like professionally slash competitively. And, and I just kept going because I knew, let me, let me keep going, let me max my base, let me show them what I got. Basically, like they had a manager, hold my beer, great guy. Um, and we played a qualifier and I remember it was like, it was 3 a.m. for the Americans. It was like 9 a.m. for me in, in Europe. And I was sitting there with, 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 with my bunch from like, I think we were like Lost Matter Green, the second or third team. We were playing there and Agent 33 was sitting on voice with me explaining to my teammates how to queen charge the base in our, in our world championship qualifier war. So you see, you just, you play and, and as you play and as you get the results, whether it be individual or as a team, people will again like recognize you and see you for who you are and that you are again putting in the hours, putting in the hard work and developing that game understanding that you need to at some point play for Tribe Gaming, play for War and Glory, play for you name it. Um, so yeah, I think it, it ties in really closely with the base builder. I think hard work beats all talent and, and that's no different in Clash. You mentioned World qual- Qualifiers again. Uh, how did you guys like the the format for this year? And is there anything you'd want to see different next year? Um, I was personally really in love with the the OG like qualifiers that you had a you had maybe not SCCWL the clan war leagues in game, but that that one huge bracket where you sit there and you play seven wars in a row. Those were great. The last year they were all right. I think they were fun, and we obviously did the most of them qualifying for both ESL and the second Kiso Cup. But if I had to improve them, I would say improve the organization a little bit. They were always very tightly announced. They were basically announced a week, a week and a half before they actually started. And I just wish that at the start of the year, they said, okay, this is our schedule. This month, this month, this month will be these three qualifiers. There you go. But no, they were, they were always keeping us on our toes, always keeping us guessing, okay, is it going to be here? And it is the last uh, community qualifier going to be before the, the in-game August Mayhem? Uh, I think they called it Mayhem. I can't remember properly. Um, qualifier. And, and basically, basically that, yeah. Basically having an overview so that the players can plan their schedule, plan ahead, is what I was missing. Yeah, yeah. That would definitely be an improvement, obviously. Having it last minute definitely probably made a headache for you guys uh, to plan it all in. So I think that basically completely wraps up our user questions. One thing uh, Spencer pointed out that we haven't talked about yet is pets. We got four new pets in the recent update, and that is pretty huge, because finally we have what I think was missing in Tower 14, is actual proper customization, actual choices over what heroes, uh, no, sorry, what pets you put on your heroes. As before, you might have varied up a tiny bit, but there's a pretty set combo, whereas now we've got eight pets to play with, so how have you found uh, using them? Have you been switching pets a lot more? Have there been any you've already disregarded? And yeah, how has your experience been with them? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Stefan, but I'm going to steal this one. Um, I think this ties okay. in again really nicely with the will you see Lalo or will you see more ground attacks question because I think those pets fit ground attacks so perfectly. It's incredible. You have such 
like the opportunity to customize. If you say, okay, I do want to stick with Malalo, you stick the owl on the warden again, just like you did a town of 14. Yeah. If you say, no, I want to do super bowlers, I want to do hog riders, hybrid, whatever. I put the lizard on my warden, I put the diggy on my RC, and I go for it. If I want to do maybe a hero dive with my RC, put king and queen in one compartment, my RC into another, you put the phoenix on your RC. It ties in perfectly. If you want your RC to keep going, keep living, you put the diggy on your RC because the diggy goes through, stuns buildings, and your RC just never dies. She just keeps going and going and going. I don't know if you guys seen it, but the diggy, very strong. The stun effect, yeah. incredible. She just keeps going. And if you have that, like, that back end, the, 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 a side of the base that's still up, but there's no multis, there's no expos, there's just cannons and arch towers. An RC with the diggy in tandem, the diggy will just run through, stun, 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 and the RC won't get touched. Um, it's, it's an incredible combination. And I think the pets in combination with the new levels to the ground troops just makes it such an option for, for attackers that, that do take the moment and say, okay, maybe not Lalo here, maybe Titans, maybe Super Bowlers, maybe Hybrid. You know what I mean? And at that point, you, you, you're, you're getting the, the, the option to, to boost that, to elevate that to another level and to tie it in with the pets. So I think absolutely great. Supercell did an insane job. And I can only speak in very high, high praises. Yeah, one question, one very specific question I have regarding the pets is, do you think there's a situation where you'll ever use the Lassie again? Oof, poor Lassie. Oh, no, Lassie. <laughs> to give you the heartbreaking answer, I would say no. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see it, to be honest with you. It I is... think there is one viable option. If your diggy is upgrading. <laughs> that, that is true. Yeah, I think I am currently still using my Lassie on my LC for that exact reason. I think that kind of wraps up our questions in general. Obviously, we announced that giveaway at the start of the podcast for the best question. Would you guys be comfortable doing that uh, now? Or do you want to do that later? If you, if you already had them ready now, please fire away. I think this one's more from Luz. Um, I, I've posted my two picks in, in our group chat, but I think I'm going to pass this one to Luz. Right, yeah. Well, while well, you decide this, uh, we could quickly go to Spencer. This is more of a subreddit matter. Spencer, what do we have coming up in celebration of 500,000 members within the next week? Yes, great question. So as everyone should know, we just hit half a million subscribers on r slash Clash of Clans. And to celebrate that, we're doing a Clashers versus Mods war event, uh, which is very similar to the to the other ones we did a few years ago. Unfortunately, it is too late to sign up as we hit a thousand signups a few days ago. But if you're interested in watching it or being part of the events community, you could join our Discord, the events Discord. The link is on the um, the bar on top of the our community page and if you want to see highlights from the event i will be posting them on my youtube channel awesome so i could plug that right now and the link to my youtube channel is in my profile on reddit yeah so we have uh reached a thousand signups we reached out a few days ago so we did kind of pull the plug there we're not accepting signups anymore as it's a 50 50 50 v 50 war we thought we cannot let this go any higher, otherwise most people have exactly zero chance of being picked. Uh, but the rosters will be announced very soon, so do keep a lookout for that. Uh, Luz, do you want to announce who has won 
the RH Base Building giveaway for the best question. Sure, I'm happy to do so. We had um, Stefan and Kronos both choose one, so we're going to be giving away two to today. Um, the winners are going to be Fit Ease twelve eighty eight with his question: How can someone become a professional base builder? And Legacy seven o two. What would you say is the best way to use the new spell towers? So um, each of those, you are the winner. So you will be receiving a free custom base from us at RH. If you are on Discord, you can find me and send me a direct DM, LooseTheron0675, and I'll be happy to fill your order. Or you can just join our Discord server itself, open a ticket, and let us know that you are the winner. Um, in addition, those two individuals who just won bases, they're not the only two who can get bases from us. Remember, we have patreon tiers available from anybody who just wants one base a month up through over 30 bases a month and um i wasn't authorized to do this but if anybody jumps in our discord server in the next one hour one hour and uses code reddit on our discord server i'll give you 10 percent off a base right now so say you heard us on reddit today tell them lou sent you you get 10 percent off for those of you guys listening to the link to their discord is uh stickied in in the top comment uh from spencer if you want if you want to take advantage of that Yep, it is uh, discord.gg slash rhbb. So yeah, make sure to get in there and claim your cheeky 10% off. That is awesome. Thank you, guys. So I think, unless anyone else has anything to add, that essentially wraps up this episode. So I'd like to really hugely thank Lou, Stefan, and Kronos for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to all of you. Uh, Really, actually, great insights into base building and just other meta changes and the whole world environment. You know, we covered... A lot, I think, and it's just been really great getting your insights. Uh, thank you also, Rick and Spencer, for joining me. It's been great having you as well, and very exciting, Spencer, hearing about the war uh, for the subreddit, yeah. which is coming very soon. Thank you for plugging that. And yeah, if anyone has any shout-outs, please go for it. Uh, Rick, have you got anything to say? Thank you guys for for, for coming on and, and, and doing a giveaway and letting us know. Uh, hopefully Reddit is uh amenable to to checking out your site and, and seeing what you guys have to offer and congrats on the win too thank awesome, you very man. much yeah oh, sorry i just want to thank you guys for hosting obviously i mean we are new some of us not so much to reddit so we we know the platform so it's really cool that we can can expand and, and meet new faces meet new people um so thank you for that thank you to everyone who came to listen live listen on a podcast wherever it may be and yeah maybe we you guys can hear from us again soon yeah, we'd love to have you on at a later date. So yeah, thank you everyone for listening. You can find Reddit Talks Clash on essentially every single po- podcast platform in the world. If you can't f- find us, I'd be incredibly surprised, but let us know and we'll try fix that. We will see you hopefully all again in two weeks' time. This obviously was a bit of an earlier pod. We usually go live um, a good few hours later than this, usually about uh, five hours later at 9pm Eastern. Uh, so that should be the time for two weeks time but we shall see you all then thank you everyone once again for joining me and we'll see you all in two weeks goodbye